Welcome to Pastor Bill's Classroom. We are in our study of the Corinthian Letters, Lesson 52, entitled, Love is the Answer, Part 5. Hello, welcome back. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians, our midweek study, and uh, Pastor Bill's Classroom, I think is as we're calling it there, just an opportunity to be able to teach and preach and share the scriptures or the insights God has given to me and I believe can make a difference in your life, makes a difference in mine, I know, all the time. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to be in verses 1 through 5, and we made it into verse 5 last time, we're just taking each one of these, we're in the love chapter, as they call it, and uh, we are taking each one of these attributes or characteristics of love, and we're taking time to see what the scriptures have to say about them. So let's read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 5, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love. I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, he says, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love, here's the definition or the description, is patient. Remember, these are verbs, action verbs. They're not predicate adjectives as it seems to, seems to state here. Actually, in the Greek, it is, they are action verbs. Acts, love literally acts patiently. It doesn't just do nothing. <coughs> it actually acts. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. Does not, here's the one we're going to start with today, seek its own, and here's the second one we're going to deal with, is not provoked, and then the next, last one we're not going to be talking about today, but next time, does not take into account wrongs uh, suffered. So let's, with that in our brains, let's turn our hearts now to God, and uh, let's ask for His intervention and help. God, we thank You for Your Word, we thank You for the love that You've given to us. This characteristic is not just characteristic of some uh, something outside of you, it is your nature. This is who you are. So as we're learning what love is, we're learning who you are. And Lord, we're just asking you to fill us with yourself so that we can love. We can do something that we're incapable of doing by ourselves uh, because of our sinful nature. Lord, we, price, we, we, we actively are participating in the replacement of our sinful nature uh, with your nature, God. Thank you uh, for letting us do that. Teach us now, God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have the love chapter, and often separated out from uh, the context, which is really uh, not a good idea, uh, is a mistake. 1 Corinthians uh, 13 is in the context of 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, which it, in, in, in addition to 1 Corinthians 13, they're all talking about spiritual gifts. The introduction of spiritual gifts in chapter 12 runs all the way through chapter 14. And so it's important that we keep it within that context. What, what does love have to do with all that? Well, it matters. It's in the midst of this whole discussion of spiritual gifts and how the church is a body, one body, a single unit that must function that way. And it cannot, it's impossible for that to work apart from love. Not the way I call love, not what you call love, but actually what God calls love, what really is truly love, allowing it to abide in us. Abide in us. You're, you're familiar with the whole, uh, when it comes to physical bodies, the whole, whole issue of transplant surgery where you take an organ from someone else place it into a different person's body, if it be a kidney, uh, sometimes a lung transplant. Uh, they, have, they transplant all kinds of things now, 
it seems, anymore. So you take a foreign organ and plant it into a person's body, and uh, the only way it works, of course, the whole, the whole uh, process, because it is foreign, is your body's automatic reaction is to reject that organ. And the only way that this uh, uh, surgical replacement can work is through heavy medication. Without medication, the body, of course, will reject that, that uh, new organ. Well, the church is like a body which has had all of its organs transplanted. Think about it. Now, you and I, part of the body of Christ, are you different than me? Oh boy, from a different place, different background? Yes, absolutely. Think about how, how much of a nightmare the whole working of the body of Christ could potentially be, especially without proper medication. We're from different cultures, different traditions, different backgrounds, different experiences, different sexes, different ages, different professions, different talents, different gifts. The church is a transplant nightmare. The only chance of rejection of keeping rejection from happening. I mean, you think about it. What the church is, Island Baptist Church is, is certainly uh, an amazing church to me. I grew up in a church where, uh, yeah, and it, everybody's different, everybody's from a different background, but, but uh, I grew up in a church where we're pretty much homogeneous. We all grew up there, all had similar backgrounds, all thought similar, a lot of us were related to each other, uh, went to the same school, our parents had gone to the same school, our grandparents had graduated from there, they all worked in the local businesses and that kind of thing, so we were very much, as much as people can be, we were homogeneous. When you come to Island Baptist Church, we're about as heterogeneous as it possibly could be because we're from, every one of us is from somewhere else, so, a different background, different, different uh, uh, denominations of churches. I mean, we have so many reasons why this shouldn't work, and it, the chances of rejection are extremely high at the best. So the only way that this thing can work is if we stay highly medicated. The single medication that eliminates the rejection is the love of God. See, unless we're surrendering ourselves to the Spirit of God and the love of God, it won't work. We won't work. You can know the Bible, but, but until it's, that's just head knowledge. Until there is something that changes about our hearts, we will never, never stick together. The, the, the sinful nature drives us apart. It, 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 uh, it isolates uh, the first sin takes place, and immediately Adam and Eve were isolated from God. And likewise, sin between us isolates us, keeps us from each other. The only thing that fixes that, as they say, love covers a multitude of sins. So, so we're going to be we're considering the characteristics, the description of love here, and we're on to our next one, which is uh, love does not act selfishly. And the next characteristic, a caliber of God's kind of love, is that it does not act; it is not selfish. It does not act selfishly. It's immediately when I started studying this, it made me think of the, the, the song, and I think Frank Sinatra wrote this song, but I know he, he made it famous, if nothing else. Uh, you'll recognize the words. I'm not going to sing it. Don't, don't worry. I'm just going to read it. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I say it clear. You know this one, right? I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived my life. Uh, that's full. I've traveled each and every highway, and more, much more than this. I did it my way. That's the scourge of Western culture is that that is true for us. Why do we have the problems that we have? Because we're selfish. It's got to be about me. It's got to be my way. 
Why do we have the divorce rate we have? Because it's got to be my way, right? You've got two people having it their way, they're going the different ways. It's not going to work. Why, why do church have problems? Because people want it their way. <sighs> we can't do that. Do not do that. Classically, the selfishness is bad here in the Western culture, but of course it's different everywhere else. You know, the difference between the Western culture and the Eastern culture is that in the West, humans exploit other humans. In the East, it's the other way around. <laughs> and we're just human everywhere we go. Think about it in the things, that, uh, in how many things would cease to exist, cease to happen among us that we're so used to, unfortunately, if there was no such thing as selfishness. Uh, and the motivation behind so many sins, starvation. We have a problem in the world today of starvation. Do you know? Did you know? It's easily researched. That we, we have the capacity the world does to feed itself several times over, and yet we have people starving every time, every year. Not just one or two. Hundreds, thousands. You know why? Selfishness. Either the selfishness on the part of the producers or the selfishness on the part of the, of the receivers, the leaders of the countries or the, the officials or whatever who want it their way. Until I can get it my way, I don't care if all my people die. I mean, literally, that's the way they think. It's very selfish. Of course, uh, starvation is a result of that. Fuel shortages, not that we like fuel, but I want it my way. It's got to be at my price. I'm not giving it to you, or as in the case of our government club right now, we won't let you pull it out because we have another plan, another agenda. It's a po political thing. Again, selfishness. Fuel shortages, food shortages, uh, pollution. I just I don't care about the future. I don't care about who else it hurts. I just want it my way, right? I just want my stuff. When I want it, I don't care who it hurts. Yep, that's a problem. Of course, we said divorce. Uh, war, wars basically are ba based in selfishness. If you got rid of selfishness, you wouldn't have these things. So love does not act selfishly. It is not only not envious of what does not belong to it, it also is prepared to give up what it's naturally entitled to. That's the way love acts. When we don't act in love, it causes all kinds of problems. For others, for ourselves. It was the primary, here we are in the book of Corinthians, let's not again forget our context. It was the primary problem of the Corinthian church. Rude at their love feast, right? Some coming in and eating before everybody else. Others getting drunk on the wine. There was nothing left by the time they had their actual service. How selfish is that? Uh, taking each other to court in front of unbelievers, using spiritual gifts for selfish motives, divided themselves based upon who the, under whose preaching they were saved or which one of the apostles or leaders had baptized them. Everything selfish. Selfish, it's about me. It's my way. I want it my way. I want the thing that promotes me. Uh, selfishness was, of course, the first problem in the early church. First recorded problem in, in uh, the, church, the, church at Acts, the church in Acts, uh, in, in Jerusalem. Ananias and Sapphira, remember? Acted selfishly, deceitfully, but also selfishly. In, in selfishness, they sold a piece of land seeking to get the, the accolades that come with at least appearing that they gave all the money to the church, when in fact they did not. So they told a lie, as Peter says there, you lied to the Holy Spirit, but it started with selfishness. I just want it my way. I, I, want, I want to promote myself. And, um, well, causes problems. So when the plague of selfishness rears its ugly head in our lives, what do we do? Well, a couple things. Number one, uh, the, the, the idea of displacement. 
it has to be displaced in your life. We so naturally are selfish. We're born that way. So we have to displace it. You can't just say no to it. You've got to put something else in its place. Displacement comes from the idea of a ship displaces a certain amount of water uh, based on its weight and mass. Well, the, the Word of God is like that ship in your life. It displaces selfishness based upon its weight and mass in your life, a- allowing it to, to control you, allowing it to displace the things that God disagrees with. Let's look at, at a couple of verses that speak to this effect. First John 3.16, We know, love by this, that he laid down his life for us. That's totally unselfish. Likewise, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Here's John saying it. Here's, here's Jesus. He's getting it straight from Jesus. Greater love is no man than this, that a person lay down his life for his friends, displacing Allowing it to displace. Love doesn't seek its own, but is willing to give up what, is right, what rightfully belongs to it. It doesn't have this whole idea of entitlement. Entitlement is such a false notion. I mean, really, you want to talk to God about what you're entitled to. Well, it's nothing good. The only human being who was ever entitled to anything good, of course, was Jesus Christ himself. Yet with all of his entitlements, did he use them? No, he gave them. Because why? That's what love does. That's what love does. He loves us. And love doesn't just say stuff. Love acts. Love does not act selfishly. Think about the model prayer. Jesus' disciple says, teach us how to pray. Not one word in it about self. Not one personal pronoun. In the whole uh, 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 description of what prayer is supposed to be, the model prayer itself. I mean, think about it. All the collective uh, pronouns. Our Father, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trust. Us. Not me. Us. Always looking at the collective. Always concerned about others, because that's the way Jesus taught us, and that's the way we're supposed to live. Lead us on temptation. Deliver us from evil. Uh, here's, here's some more Uh, verses to that effect. 1 Corinthians. No one should seek their own good. No one. Not an exception to that. But the good of others. This is the exact opposite of what we're being taught in our world today. Love yourself first, right? Wrong. Wrong. Contradicts the Word of God. Romans 12. Be devoted to one another. In love, honor one another above yourselves. How are you doing with that? See, our first tendency is to seek your own honor. Problems causes problems. Philippians 2, 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. How many times does the Holy Spirit have to say this to us? Well, I guess until we get it, until we obey and in Psalm 119, 36 and 37, I didn't put it on the screen, but it's in the notes there. So, so first of all, this whole issue of displacement. So taking the Word of God and allowing it to displace in us. Take, taking this verse, just like here, not looking at my own interest. I memorized that. It needs to displace this whole tendency I have to acting selfishly because love doesn't act that way. And so the power of God comes through the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. He fills me with the ability to do what I cannot do otherwise. So number one, displacement. And number two, repentance. I mean, if you're doing that, stop it. And be honest with God and go God and say, God, I'm, I repent. 
I'm sorry. I, I agree with you that this is sin in me, and I'm asking for your strength and ability to turn away. Repentance isn't just something we do at the point of salvation. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. So displacement, repentance, that's because love doesn't act selfishly. Let's get on to the second one here that we read in 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not, is not easily provoked or does not act in anger. Now, we familiar, all of us, with as much as we are with selfishness, we're also familiar with anger. I read a story, uh, you probably heard this one before, elderly woman who's preparing to park in her, her expensive Cadillac in a, in a parking spot at the grocery store, and whipping in in front of her is this young man in, in his little sports car, and he pulls in in front of her and, and takes the parking space away from her, and he, he walks past her and he says, oh, to be young and fast. He turns his back and she backs up a little bit in her big Cadillac, throws it into drive and just crams the whole back end of his car in. And he comes over and says, what gives, lady? What would you do that for? She said, oh, to be old and rich. Anger. Get a hold of us. In case you don't think anger is a natural tendency, uh, this coming Sunday, go down to the nursery in your church and pull a baby bottle out of the mouth of the first baby you come to and watch what happens. Uh, like the exorcist revisited, right? Because they were born that way. We are born that way. It's not something we acquire, it is something we have to get rid of, for sure. But it's something that's natural, it's, we, we inherit it because it's part of our sinful nature. So, so not all anger is bad, though. So we have God, of course, getting angry in the Bible. Jesus is angry on at least two different occasions. He clears the temple. And righteous, as, we, as someone would call it, righteous anger or righteous indignation. And, and if, if, if we can act in righteous indignation, I would say, awesome. The problem with it is, is it's difficult to produce truly righteous indignation inside of a person who has a sinful nature. It really is. Hard to know where the line is. Hard to do. In our culture, we started this whole movement and coined a phrase called anger management. And um, yeah, I mean, if you have anger, the first thing you should do is definitely manage it. But, but anger is more something we better ridding ourselves of as opposed to manage. Uh, a pastor I was listening to, he put it this way. He says, uh, uh, anger management is akin to rattlesnake management. So yeah, if you've got a rattlesnake in your house, it's better to keep it in a single room in a corner as opposed to letting it roam the whole house. He says, I got a better idea. How about killing it and throwing it out? And uh, yeah, excellent point. Excellent point. So let's look at what the scripture has to say about our anger. Of course, you know it says a lot. What it does to us, Proverbs 14 Quick-tempered man acts foolishly. You will do it. You will, woman or man, not gender-specific here in any way. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. Do you want to act a fool? Yeah, get yourself angry. Don't control your anger. It will. Someone said the worst place to be is beside yourself. Good point. What it makes you do, right? Act foolishly, it's what it does. What it, what it does to you, Proverbs 19. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment. He will. Man or woman. For if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. That is the truth. 
what it does to you, what it does to others. Sure, I get angry, but it's all over in a few minutes. Yeah, so is a nuclear bomb. Causes lots of destruction. Not an excuse for that. There's not. What it does to you, what it does to others, what it turns you into, Proverbs 29. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Yeah, it turns you into someone who's just, now you're, you suck the calmness out of the room because of your rage, because of your anger. Keeps you from other things. Look at James chapter 1. Again, he's expanding the whole Bible, right? So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Isn't that what we want? I just want, the right, I just want God to be glorified. I want the righteousness of God for my church, for myself, for my family, for my marriage, and the wrath of man doesn't do that for me. It may feel good, but it hurts. It bites in the end. So get rid of it. Get rid of it. We're going to be encouraged to that effect here in just a second. Notice, notice because of my anger. Why does anger cause so many problems? Because of who it lets in. Notice what it says here in Ephesians 4. Be angry and yet do not sin. So again, righteous indignation. Be careful. Here's, here's the way you don't let it turn into something it shouldn't. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. See, you're giving a devil opportunity when you hold on to your anger. Either one, you fail to forgive, or two, you fail to deal with it. That's, you want to know what anger management is? That's what it is. Don't let the sun go down on it. it that's what it lets in. It gives the devil a foothold, uh, a, an opportunity in our lives. You don't need that. I don't need that. Our church doesn't need that. And notice, not only does it let the devil in, but it grieves away another very important person. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander must be removed from you, along with all malice. All this stuff that comes from this selfish anger, deep-seated anger, natural tendency in us has got to be done away with, or we are grieving away. It's like tying the hands of the Spirit of God in our life. Again, we don't need that. Life is tough already. So how do we curb our volatility? Well, number one, we'd be careful who we associate with. Believe it or not, anger is contagious. It really is. Ooh, tell me who you run with, and I'll tell you who you are. You run with angry people? Yeah, that's who you're going to be. It tells us this in Proverbs and Psalm 1 also. Do not make friends with a person given to anger. It doesn't mean you're not kind to them. I mean, just don't hang out with them. Or go with a hot-tempered person. Or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Mark it carefully. Psalm 1 says a similar thing. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Do you do that? You do that. Oh, I don't listen to them, but you're with them. There's no difference. It's the same. It's the same. And it doesn't just have to be a person, I don't think. I think it can be media. Stuff you're watching. It's the people you're hanging with. What are they like? You're drawn to those looking for an anger and revenge. I'm telling you, it's going to have a tendency to reproduce itself in your life. Blessed is the person who does not walk in that kind of counsel or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Stay away from those. 
Blesses man who doesn't do, or a woman who doesn't allow those kind of things to be a constant influence in their lives. So, number one, be careful who you associate with. Number two, deal with anger quickly. Ephesians 4, back to that one. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let it. There is a time limit, a statute of limitations on this stuff. So, yeah, you get upset. Deal with it. Deal with it between you and that person. Deal with it between in, in your own heart. Deal with it between you and God. Someone's hurt you, and uh, it's hard to forgive. Find a way. Ask God to help. He will. Deal with your anger quickly. Keep yourself full. Here's another it's important principle. That when, so that when you're provoked, it's not anger that spills over. Let's take two identical pots. Cooking pots. Fill one to the brim. Fill the other only about a half an inch with water and put both on the stove on burning burners wide open. Which one's going to boil first? Well, the shallow one, right? Not, they'll both boil eventually, but this one over here, the one that has very little water, will boil really, really quick. Same is true. A full soul, full, slow to boil. Full with what? Full of God. Full of God. We have a tendency to want to be filled with God when under stressful situations, but when everything's going well... Well, we're not too, not too big on it. It's not because we're against it. It's just that we don't feel the need. Listen, it's just you're headed into the next storm anyway, so you might as well be getting ready for it. Be filled. Be filled. Be filled with, the, with love means being filled with Him. So keep yourself full so that you won't boil over as easily. Speaking of boiling, this brings us to our, our fourth point. How do we curb our volatility? Number four, raise your walk back to the boiling water principle or or illustration. The water boils, the pot of water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit at sea level. But you take that same pot with the same amount of water and raise it to 9,000 feet, for instance, it's going to take a lot more heat to get it to boil. It's just a, it's a, it's a principle of the physics of how, how water works. But it's also a great principle to apply to our lives. The higher you and I are, the closer our walk is to Christ, the the harder it's going to be to bring us to a boil. So we got to make sure our life is staying up here. Not going like this. Staying up here. Because we'll find out that the devil knows when we're low, and that's when he comes. That's when issues arrive. Be careful. Love does not act in anger. Love does not act selfishly. Love is the thing that we need. It's the binding element. It's the medication that enables this, to, enables this to work when it otherwise shouldn't. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your love that you've given to us. We look forward to the day in a place where it'll be nothing but love. Heaven's going to be like, like that way. Eternity's going to be that way. God, we so look forward to that. But God, I believe that we can experience heaven on earth today by surrendering ourselves completely to you. And I pray for the person there who hasn't done that yet today. Pray for myself, God. We just want to open our hearts to you right now. We ask you to fill us with your spirit. We ask you to fill us with your enabling to make us to be some people, the people that we can't be otherwise. Not just for our own sakes, but for the sake of others. We stop looking inward to ourselves and start looking out. We stop getting uh, boiled over so easily because we're filled to the full with you. Thank you, God, for speaking to us today. Thank you for your word. It gives us direction. We submit ourselves to it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.